Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and you're listening to Into Music from the KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our guest for Into Music Episode 1 is Wichita, Kansas-based harmonica player and vocalist Dustin Arbuckle. He leads Dustin Arbuckle and the Damnations and is a co-founding member of Haymakers. He also performs as part of two distinct duos, one with Matt Woods and one with Wayne Long. In 2023, Haymakers released two albums, Wakanda Flyer and 100 Years of Hank, while Dustin Arbuckle and the Damnations issued Live at the Shamrock Lounge. In 2024, he and Long will release their debut recording. He was inducted into the Kansas Music Hall of Fame as a member of Moreland and Arbuckle in 2022. In this conversation, he discusses some of his early musical mentors, his love of blues, and an important encounter with blues legend Curtis Salgado. That's on Into Music, coming up now. What was kind of your aha moment with music? What was like the, the first thing that you remember hearing that really excited you? I, I don't know that I could point to one particular moment. I always say my earliest musical memory was being in the truck with my dad when I was about three and he was singing um, Gallows Pole, uh, which I, I assume he learned from Lead Belly because he was a big Lead Belly fan. But around my mid-teens, you know, I started to become more aware of, of, of blues music and old school rhythm and blues and things like that. There was something about that music that inspired me, that, that struck me in a way that not really anything else ever had at that point. Why that was, I, I can't say. Just maybe just the emotion of the music, maybe just the rhythmic qualities of it. I don't know. It it just it hits I feel like that music hits you somewhere in a very, you know, primal place. It just it it makes you feel and it makes you want to move. That was what made me want to play music. My dad, who, you know, I think Part of my reason for getting fascinated with it was wanting to connect better with him at that point in my life because I knew he was a fan of old school blues stuff, even though I didn't really know anything about it at the time. Um, he took me out to meet a friend of his named Bill Garrison, who was a harmonica player and guitar player and singer, songwriter, who had been around here, around the Wichita area for a long time. And uh, Bill is who pretty much got me started on the harmonica and uh, kind of gave me my first exposure to a, a lot of what is now my favorite favorite old blues music. What kind of things was Bill doing with you early on? That I, I think Bill, what he was more than anything for me was was a he was the first person I ever got to see do it up close and personal. Like I was aware there was you know, that harmonica was an instrument. And obviously I, I had started to listen to some old school blues stuff by then. Um, and so I'd, I'd heard some of the classic blues harp players. Bill and I were sitting there right in his living room and he's, you know, playing and singing and, and, and doing the deal. And then he's, he's spinning, you know, these cool blues records for me and stuff like that. And so it was just like, I think what Bill did was just opened a door. And, and it's like, this, this can be a really musical thing that I can do. Um, and he did explain some of the, the basics about like, okay, this is the harmonica you play for this key and that you can play more than one key on one harp and, and um, you know, listen to these guys and things like that. The guy who probably, probably directly 
showed me the most about playing harmonica in my early years was David Graham, who's still playing around town today. Dave's, David's a great harmonica player and has great tone and uh, explained to me about you know play, how to play different keys on the same harmonica and gave me was was one of the first guys who I who I got to know up close and personal who I thought had really great tone really great sound to the way he played and he's not flashy David's not a flashy harp player but it's his tone's big and thick and it's you know it's a mile wide and and that definitely was what was what gave me an early idea as far as a person I could I, I knew and I could go see play just here in Wichita, Kansas, on the regular, <laughs> you know, who who just had that legit blues harmonica sound, which is what I wanted at that time, um, and st- well, still do in most ways. And and so those were the guys who really kind of I feel like got me started. You know, I learned from a lot of other places. All my biggest like influences from a sonic standpoint, I think, are you know, and from a technique standpoint, are the, the, the classic traditional blues guys, you know, the Giants, people like little Walter Jacobs. Sonny Boy Williamson, number two, was the first guy who was playing really bit me, who I really wanted to try to emulate. Um, Howlin' Wolf, um, Big Walter Horton, Paul Butterfield, Sonny Terry, those were the guys who I tried to emulate, figure things out to sound like, until Lee McBee came along. <laughs> Yeah, I want to I want to talk about Lee in a second, but but you touched on something that I think um, is can't be underestimated, which is when you go out and you see a musician performing live music. Like my thing was, uh, I remember going to a bowling alley and they had a bar in there, and we weren't allowed to go into the bar because we weren't twenty one. <laughs> but the right. but the wait staff was would let us sit at the window and watch this band. And there was this band from I think Appleton, Wisconsin, called the Twistin' Egyptians, and they had a tape. And it was like big time. Yeah, it was like big time because all of a sudden it was like they were writing their own songs. They were doing the deal, and um, I was like, this really exists. This is a possibility for people I know. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's the thing is the average person, and I don't want to be derogatory to anybody here, but, but I think just like it's hard to understand any business that is not your own. I think the average person does not understand how many levels and layers there are to the music business, right? They, they kind of feel like there's the famous people who play theaters and arenas and stadiums, and then there's their, their buddies who play for beer at the bar, you know, once or twice a month, right? Or And there's, you know, all these undiscovered people just waiting to be, you know, made stars who if they're good enough, right? But I, I think, you know, maybe early on, I, I just like anybody else didn't really understand that. Um, I, you know, you just don't have the frame of reference. But, you know, at one point I started going out to 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 the bars and, and, and hearing a lot of these local bands, um, and there were some good ones um, at the time in like late 90s and early 2000s. You know, there were a lot of like kind of blues based bands in town, and there were a few pretty good ones. But I also, back when the Roadhouse was still open as a venue, like got to start to see more um, like touring blues acts. Um, and I also got to see a lot of that up at, you know, the Blues Masters of the Crossroads thing that the acoustic sounds people used to do in Salina. And that started to, 
start create this realization that it's not just these mythical figures like because because muddy waters howling wolf you know whoever right you know otis redding (laughs) you know i mean just go down the list of all all the biggest influences right it's like they're they're giants they're titans they're you know they're people you can't reach out and touch you know because either they're dead or they're too famous it started to become a realization to me that like oh there are actually these people out there making a living playing music but really who not that many people know about but they're making really good really interesting you know cool music and you know it started to dawn on me that it's like this is something I can do um, and this is what I want to do and when I was about 19 I I went out David Graham had told me yeah you want to go check out Lee McBee when he comes through town and I did and you know, for, for everybody who doesn't know, Lee's a fellow Kansan. He he spent most of his life in the Lawrence area, um, played a lot around Kansas City, but also spent a lot of years touring nationally and internationally on the blues circuit as a front man for a Dallas-based band called Mike Morgan and the Crawl, who had records out on a really cool New Orleans-based, New Orleans-based label called Blacktop, and, and really were pretty successful in that scene for about a decade there. Um, and side note, like in... in recent years I Mike and I've gotten to be friends and I've played with him from time to time which has been a, a lot of fun Mike's a great guitar player I think there was something about you know you talk about seeing somebody live and in person and what that means to you and that I'm, I'm sorry I'm going off on sidetracks here but I think the greatest thing about live music and th- this is from my perspective as an artist but I think also as a fan is the energy exchange and that's between the band on stage and the fans out in the crowd between the people in the crowd and between the musicians on stage. There is literally nothing for me better in this world than the feeling of cre- of, of, of playing music that you like playing with people who you like playing it with for people who want to hear it and who are enjoying it. I think that's a very magical, almost like metaphysical kind of thing. It's really can't explain where those feelings and that energy comes from, but it's really amazing. And so, you know, I went and I saw Lee and he was a great singer and he was a great harmonica player. And it was the first time I think I'd really seen someone up close and personal who was like an elite level player of both of my instruments, both, you know, attempting to, to learn how to sing, sing blues and blues oriented music and play harmonica in that style as well. You know, Lee was, he's definitely was in that top echelon of his generation of guys who did that. And it was the first time I think I'd ever really seen somebody that good, you know, right in person and then got to talk to him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, after the show and, you know, I think, uh, you know, and, and pretty soon, you know, started to get to be friends with him. Lee had a residency at a club in Kansas City called BB's Lawnside Barbecue that's still operating. It's still a place that I play on the regular today and played there every Sunday night. And I started going up there, you know, I just maybe about once a month there for a while, you know, make that drive up and listen and drive back <laughs> middle of the night and. 
Um, you know, I'd had a lot of people up to that point who, who both had, you know, somewhat influenced me, you know, but had also been very encouraging. A lot of local people had been really cool and really encouraging of, of me as a, a young artist when, you know, I, I could barely play. But I think with Lee, it was all that encouragement, but also like subtle and gentle, <laughs> but also very effective constructive criticism and a, a person who I think he saw what he viewed as real potential in me and wanted wanted to help me build that. And then also just a legitimate musical influence, like in his singing and playing style, his playing style in particular. He, he had a record out. He did a solo album in the late 90s called 44. Um, and it was mostly old, like, 50s, you know, 40s and 50s blues tunes. And one of the tunes was was the old Roosevelt Sykes tune, 44 Blues, which Howlin' Wolf also did. And um, I think I'm saying, I think it was a Roosevelt Sykes tune. It might have been Little Brother Montgomery. But uh, at the time, you know, CDs, I, I don't think that CD left my CD player in my car for weeks. I just kept listening to it and trying to play along with it and, and, and figure out what he was doing. You know, and, I, and so I had a new harmonica hero, but I had one that I could call on the phone. I had one that I could, I could go see play live. You know, Little Walter was dead. Big Walter Horton was dead. <laughs> Sonny Boy Williamson, <laughs> Sonny Terry, they were all dead. You know, giants, and I love their music, and, and I, you know, they – all very extremely influential on me, but Lee was the guy I could go see and who, you know, treated me as a friend and treated me as, as, as someone who, um, you know, he believed in and, and that, I don't think that will ever stop. Um, that'll never stop meaning the world to me. This is, you know, we should also talk about this is in the era before um, YouTube tutorials yep. and things like that. So you're talking about listening to the record and going, testing your ear against what you hear and then testing it with your harp and then maybe going back and rewinding and going, that's not quite it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I tell you what, I, I have, as, as a result of that, I have nothing but uh, respect for artists who had to do that in the vinyl era. <laughs> like, oh, lift the needle, go back <laughs> just a little bit so I can hear that one lick again. You know, how much of a pain that must have been. You know, it was, you know, it, it, in the CD era, it was its own pain. But, yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was, you know, go back, go back, go back. What? How does that riff go? You know, and, you know, in as much as, like I said, I don't know that Lee like directly like showed me. He didn't give me harmonica lessons or anything. Like he definitely showed me some stuff in person, but a lot of it was just his style was so appealing to me, and and he was really good when I would see him or I would talk to him and I'd like I'd ask him about stuff that I you know that I, demos that I'd recorded and I let him you know, I'd give to him and say you know what do you think and he'd say you know you're I like what you're doing vocally right now. You're starting to find your own voice where you're not just still trying to sound like someone you are not. You know, because that's, that's a thing 
within this style, it's like, you know, most of my biggest influences are are black American artists. Blues is black music, you know, and that's, you know, I've, I try to honor that tradition and give credit to those artists, but I can't be Muddy Waters, you know. I, I haven't had those experiences. I haven't had that life. And so all you can do, I think, is try to find your own voice within this old style and, you know, still try to honor the traditions of it. I think, you know, that was one thing that, that Lee was also very encouraging of was like trying to find my own voice within this because I felt like he did that. There wasn't anybody that Lee sounded just like. Like, he def- you could hear his influences. He loved George Harmonica Smith. George Harmonica Smith was his dude, like he, his favorite harp player. And there were definitely things that Lee did that were obviously influenced by George Smith, and he was definitely influenced by Little Walter and, and, and you know, people like that. That's the thing, I think. He wasn't the most technical harp player. He definitely could do some really cool stuff. He wasn't rudimentary, but he... Um, he was individual in his playing and singing style. And I think that's probably one of the things that was most um, appealing about him to me. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's, it's funny talking about the vinyl era because the, there's a great story of uh, Edward Van Halen when he was young worshiping Eric Clapton and he figured out how to slow down his turntable so that he could cop the, the Clapton licks. Um, but it's, it's one of those things too, where it's like influence doesn't always bear out in style because it's like you, you hear Clapton and you hear Van Halen and you go, you know, where, where did that cross over at some point? Yeah, (laughs) right. Absolutely. (laughs) I think that's where you, you know, great artists find the ways to incorporate those things and incorporate all those influences from different places and, find their own voice, find their own thing that sounds, you know, truly unique. And I, that's something I feel like I've really struggled with in my life uh, musically to not be just overwhelmed by my influences, which a lot, it's, it's really easy to do. I think no, no one is 100% original because it's all got to come from somewhere, but it's, it's finding that balance between, again, incorporating and in, in a lot of cases, I think, especially if you're playing traditional music or maybe not even full-on traditional music but these like older styles that you're trying to preserve something of because they're not in the pop consciousness as much you know you want to you want to preserve that and you want to play with a strong um eye toward tradition right but at the same time if you want to be a legitimate artist you have to find your own voice and uh, I think it's it's something that even now, you know, t- 20 plus years into being a professional musician, I'm, I'm still trying to find my own way to do. I hope I can at some point. Maybe, I, again, it, one of the biggest compliments anybody ever paid me was when, when Lee told me that I, I had found my own singing style, he thought. And that, you know, at least maybe I've got that. <laughs> at least maybe I've got that. And I don't, I don't sound just like anybody else. So I'll kind of close out on this. Um, I, I have to ask, because being involved in, in roots music and, and blues, um, 
you're a little bit younger than I am, but yeah. I know for me a seminal moment was my brother bringing home the Blues Brothers briefcase full of blues <laughs> album. Um, because it was this gateway. Now, I mean, you talk about influences. I mean, without Curtis Salgado, right. we don't get John Belushi going nuts for blues records, really. Sure. So in a way, we really owe the Blues Brothers to Curtis Salgado. We do, and I, I actually have to, I have a Curtis Salgado story, um, a personal one, because I saw him play at the Roadhouse, too. And you talk about another guy who's just a super nice guy and um, was very gracious with his time talking to this dorky 19-year-old kid. Um, and he explained tongue blocking to me, which is a, a harmonica playing technique. And yeah, so I, I might have never really grasped tongue blocking or it might have taken me a lot longer to do it without Curtis Salgado taking the time to like explain, nah, man, this is how you do it. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you talk about, I mean, Curtis probably deserves a lot more credit than he gets <laughs> because yeah, great singer, great heart player. It's interesting about the Blues Brothers, right? Because I think that's a gateway drug to a lot of people with that music because the music, the, you know, the, the, the music in the band is, is solid. I mean, the band's amazing. You know, you have people like Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn and Matt Guitar Murphy and, you know, all these legit legendary kind of people in that band. And then you've got the comedy act out front. But, you know, Belushi and Aykroyd were charismatic. Um, and the movie is hilarious. You know, it's a great movie. But, and it was, it was probably part of my, it wasn't probably, it was part of my, you know, process of becoming aware of that music when I was in my mid-teens. But I think pretty quickly I figured out the stuff that really got me was, it's not this show band stuff. This is, you know, the, this, this is fun, but it's not the real thing. And so... You know, if it can be that for a lot of people, I'm sure it has been, you know, that's good. That's that's a good thing. Um, I think it's a little, uh, but it is kind of a double-edged sword <laughs> with like what this impression it's created for a lot of people of what the genre is. I'm Jed Bodwin, and you've been listening to Into Music from the KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our guest has been Wichita, Kansas-based musician Dustin Arbuckle. You can learn more about the band Haymakers at haymakers316.com. Dustin Arbuckle and the Damnations can be found at dustinarbuckledamnations.com. And you can find Arbuckle's duos with Matt Woods and Wayne Long on Facebook. Our theme music is composed and performed by Torn Anderson. Our digital producers are Carly Cooper, Beth Golay, and Hugo Fan. You can learn more about Into Music at kmuw.org and email us at info at kmuw.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.